The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on very late Friday night, East Coast time, recording this about 10 minutes after the Denver Nuggets behind the most consequential stretch maybe of Jamal Murray's on-court career take a commanding 3-1 lead in the NBA Finals with a 108-93 win over the Heat. They now go back to Denver with a chance to win at home the franchise's first NBA championship. There are a lot of places we could go, Kevin Pelton. We could go to the Heat committing like 75% as many turnovers in this game as they had for the entire series. We could go to Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown combining for 48 points. On 19 of 26 from the field, Aaron Gordon kept the offensive float when Jokic sat in the second quarter, made two threes and a crazy across the across his body post-up, ISO, whatever you want to call it, mid-ranger, and just dunked and offensive rebounded his way into all these points. And Bruce Brown, pay the man, closed out the Miami Heat with a couple of pick-and-roll buckets, including an up-and-under against Bam, that I'm not even sure how it went in. But to me, Kevin, um, of all those angles, we have to start with Nikola Jokic leaving the game with the Nuggets up nine after committing his up ten rather after committing his fifth foul. The Heat immediately go on a mini run. Jimmy Butler plays a little bully ball against KCP, and then Jamal Murray hits an and one with eight forty two left to cut it to eighty six eighty one, and it felt like, whoo. How are they going to hold this together without Jokic? Jeff Van Gundy on the broadcast is basically like, bring them back in, bring them back in. And then the Nuggets run my favorite play in their playbook. Jamal Murray setting a back screen in the paint, catapulting from that off of a Jokic screen, popping out for a three. The Heat miscommunicate just as he stopped the momentum in the second quarter of game three. With a massive three, the crowd roaring. A huge three to get it back to 89-81. Then he just sort of grinds and manufactures a couple other things. A a pick and roll lob to Aaron Gordon that ends up in a layup for Aaron Gordon. An isolation against Duncan Robinson where he crosses him up and throws a bullet to Jeff Green in the corner for a three. How about old man Jeff Green? And I thought that came about a minute after he forced a shot against Bam, or against Caleb Martin, I think, where he could have kicked it to KCP. Bam battled him well on switches, but Jamal Murray really kept them alive and extended the lead, not extended the lead, kept the lead about where it was for five minutes without Nikola Jokic. It wasn't like, other than that 1-3 KP, it wasn't like pretty. It wasn't highlight stuff. It wasn't consistent. He got shut down on a couple switches by amazing defense from Bam, who had a chase down block for the ages early in the fourth quarter after a Christian Brown steal. But it was enough. It was gritty, and it was tough, and it was enough. And you know, look, maybe most consequential stretch of his career is an exaggeration given what that dude did in the bubble, given what that dude has done this entire playoff run. But that was... That was big, big, big time. What did you think of that stretch, if you want to start there? Yeah, I mean, I don't take my notes written down 
like I think you do. I, I put them in a Word document, so I wasn't able to necessarily like highlight and underline like five times the moment when Jokic picked up that fifth foul, and you know they were up by ten at that point with nine twenty left in the game. And especially after Miami immediately cuts it to five, you figure, are they even going to have the lead by the time they bring Jokic back in if they want to wait all the way for the five minute mark, which is kind of the, the traditional coach's indicator of when to bring the guy back in with five fouls. And what it reminded me of different situations, because this came when a player had fouled out entirely and you know, very different players at different stages of their career. But I, I thought of game three of the 2000 NBA finals when Shaq fouled out in overtime on the road at Indiana and Kobe Bryant carries the Lakers down the stretch is the guy who had like very clearly been the number two at that point in his career to uh, Shaq's number one. He was uh, still 21, I think, at that point. And it was kind of a scene, you know, a moment of what was going to happen, what was to come for Kobe. And, you know, Jamal Murray's deeper into his career has accomplished a lot more, frankly, in the playoffs than Kobe had by that point in his career. But similar kind of, I'm the guard who can take over even when our dominant MVP big man is out of the game due to foul trouble. Uh, like I said, it wasn't the prettiest stretch. It wasn't consistent. A lot of it was marked by by tough defense by the Nuggets. I think the highlight of that was... KCP stripping Butler in the post on a switch, and they got a Jamal Murray to Bruce Brown run out, another basket for Bruce Brown. But it it was just, you know what it was? It was championship basketball. That's how you win championships. It's not always going to be pretty. You're going to have to manufacture buckets. You're going to have to make tough shots against the defense that's as dialed in as, um, as Miami is. And I thought, like, this was... It, it, by the way, I got the final score wrong. It was 108.95, not 108.93. Sorry, he'd have shortchanged you by two points. Um, that means it's now plus 38 Denver for the series. The Nuggets' offensive rating in this game was around 119 per 100 possessions, according to Cleaning the Glass, which is like an elite, elite figure as it has been for this entire series. The Heat just have not had a consistent answer for Denver's offense. Nobody has. Nobody has. Um and I don't remember where my train of thought was going with all of this, Kevin, but uh, you can take it where you want. Well, yeah. So at the end of that stretch, Jokic, Michael Malone waits all the way till the 420 mark to bring him back in. And Miami ultimately shaved only one point off the lead from there. And, you know, there was still time potentially for another miracle Miami comeback. But ultimately, I don't think this game ever got to the point where it was one of these clutch games that they have dominated throughout the playoffs. It was never within five in the last five minutes, I don't think. No, what I was going to say was, so Murray finishes five of 17, 15 points, 12 assists as the broadcast said he has 10 assists in all four games of the final so far, the first person to do that or some such thing. Um, five of 17... Not great. Was two of six at the half. So, you know, three of 11 after the half, but it, it felt better than that. Uh, Jokic, a pedestrian eight of 19, despite going three of seven on threes. And we'll talk about how his shooting, he clearly came in saying, if you're blitzing Jamal Murray, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to string it out to the side and you're going to hit me on the pop and I'm going to be ready to shoot. And if they don't send the third guy flying at me, I'm shooting. And if they send the third guy flying to me, well, you damn know what I'm going to do. I'm going to find the right open man, and whether it's Bruce Brown or Jeff Green or Aaron Gordon, we're going to score. But 23-12-4 assists only for Jokic. Missed some bunnies in the post when they didn't send a lot of help. 
Um, as that stretch was going on by Jamal Murray, uh, I thought of two things. Number one, did he do enough in that stretch to make finals MVP a conversation? I don't think that he did, despite the fact that he's been incredible this entire series. And by the way, the Nuggets were plus one in the first half with Jokic on the bench. Um, and so they were winning or staying even with the Jokic minutes the whole time. That was thanks largely to Aaron Gordon. I don't think Jamal Murray, again, 5 of 17, did enough to make it a conversation. Obviously, there's still a win to be had against a team that is not going to give you a goddamn thing in the Miami Heat. Uh, and the second thing I thought of was, I'm not sure where we left off with the who's the best guy never to make an all-star team conversation, but it, it does it have to be Jamal Murray now? Because Mike Conley got one. So, like, who who is it now ever? Like, doesn't it after – if they win the championship – doesn't it have to be him? I mean, who am I? For, am I forgetting anyone at this point? Yeah, I mean, there's players who probably had better overall careers who who never made it. But in terms of the playoff impact, uh, the fact that you know we this we is saw legend. What, this is legend yeah. stuff. We saw what Murray did in the bubble, which was also the stuff of legends. And you know, I think to a degree, people wondered whether it was going to be a legend in the sense that like it, it couldn't be repeated. But he's he's done it throughout this postseason. And yeah, when you think of kind of the the championship impact, uh, the the historical metric that I like to use is championships added, and that accounts for playoff leverage. And Jamal Murray has added a lot of championships, uh, shares of championships, let's say, in 2020 and now in this season. What did you think of? Um, what did you think of the combined performance of Butler and Adebayo for Miami? I mean, I thought that this was the the Jimmy Butler that Miami needed to win this game, and especially in that stretch right after Jokic went out when he was aggressively attacking the basket. I mean, 25 points on, on 17 shot attempts, four trips to the free throw line, seven assists. Like, that's generating enough offense to win. Bam, kind of similar story to much of the series in terms of scoring points but not doing so efficiently. And then the, the seven turnovers for him jumps out. Uh, you, you mentioned that earlier. It's something we, we need to get to in terms of you know Miami's turnover edge throughout this series being flipped on its head in this one. Which was a must for them. They're a low turnover team in general and a high forcing turnover team. Denver has kind of been up and down as a turnover team. And through three games, the Heat had 23 turnovers, which is just a remarkable level of both ball protection and non-aggression, I guess, from the Nuggets. Although, I mean, they're like a swipey, handsy team. I mean, I think it's more the Heat were just really getting shots on goal, as Eric Spolcher likes to say. 23 through three games. 15 tonight. I see eight for Bam in the box score. Um, I thought Jimmy and Bam were just good. And barring an outburst from the supporting cast, and the Heat only made three, uh, eight threes tonight, so there was no outburst. Three of them by Kevin Love. Two of them were bank shots, one by Kevin Love and one of them by Kyle Lowry. So six non-banked threes the entire game. Uh, Kyle Lowry, great minutes. Um, good Barring that kind of outburst, good was just not is just not going to be enough against the Nuggets. It doesn't matter where the game is, Miami or Denver. And Jimmy, like it, look, I we do this thing where this is the burden of being a superstar. People are going to slam Jimmy for like not enough. Where's playoff Jimmy? Where's the guy who scored fifty six against Milwaukee? Twenty five seven and seven is a good game. He got to the line nine times. I did think, for whatever reason, as this series has gone on. He's looked much more comfortable being aggressive one-on-one than he has in the pick-and-roll. 
And he opened the second half of this game with a transition opportunity against Jokic where he just kind of pulled up and shot like a 13-foot jumper when I thought he just could have gone at the rim. And then a- another play kind of just like that, I thought, to to um, I don't remember what the other one was. I think he had Jamal Murray on him, and I don't remember where. It was. I think it was just like a, another short jumper. He just didn't look aggressive attacking in the pick and roll, and some of that is like I thought Denver's defense again was pretty locked in tonight. Like minimal mistakes, good help decisions, good help and recover. Like on the flight of the ball, their guys are coming back out, and Jokic has been pretty damn good at the rim um, by his standard and by any standard. So I I thought Jimmy and Bam were just good. And you look at the start. You look at the Heat starting five. Three of their the other three starters played fewer than twenty minutes. It, it was kind of a desperation mode game for Miami in ways that we can talk about, but just not quite enough. Uh, another non one hundred point game for Miami. You know that's rare. Yeah, I mean it was a concern that I think you know you had coming into this series. The reason that Denver was the pick is as good as Miami has been, as incredible teams as they have beaten in this run. They haven't faced an offense as good and rolling like this Denver team. And were they just going to be able to score enough points on a consistent basis to win? And in game two, when they knocked down the, what was it, 16 three-pointers, that was barely enough points to win. The other three games, it, it has not been. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. No zone defense tonight for the Heat, which I thought was um, indicative of how perilous it felt for them by the end of Game 3. Um, we did see a lot of blitz, not a lot, but a fair number of blitzing. And we saw that Denver was ready for, it. you know, in the first half, there was a blitz where on Murray Jokic, where they kicked it to KCP who kind of rose up on the wing. Like here I am, I'm the release valve and KCP then lobbed it to Aaron Gordon for a dunk. And then I think on the very next possession, they blitzed again and they brought that guy up on the wing again. And Jamal Murray was like, no, I'm cool. I'm going to just slip it to Nicola for a four on three. He hit Michael Porter Jr., who still cannot hit a three to save his life, missed an open three. And on the very next possession after that, they expected the blitz. They lined up the exact same way, and the blitz didn't come, which I thought was a smart, like, the Heat tried to change things up as often as they could. There were, like, some post-ups on Jokic where they didn't send help, and then somewhere it was, like, hard double-team emergency rotations. And I thought they tried to keep them guessing. And the Nuggets, for the most part, just kind of outguessed them. We saw the Heat play a, a couple different lineups that we hadn't seen the whole series uh, up until this point. We saw we saw Martin, Love, and Bam together for little stretches of the game. One time with Butler, one time with Struess. We saw 
Lowry, Vincent, Robinson, Butler together with Butler at the four, which is a lineup we haven't seen much. So they tried lots of different things. They played, I think, with an appropriate desperation, both tactically and just effort-wise. I mean, the effort was there. The Nuggets were just better, and they've been better the whole series. Yeah, the other thing we saw, as I mentioned on Twitter, is that uh, Eric Spolster changed the rotations not to match Bam Adebayo's minutes with Nikola Jokic's, as you've been talking about throughout this series, but instead to make sure that both Bam and Jimmy were on the court at the start of the second quarter when Jokic rested. And I think they really wanted to, like, especially with a lead at that point, although you, you had to make the decision with Jimmy before you knew that was going to happen, to press that advantage and be up, you know, five or six by the time Jokic comes back. Instead, Denver, I think, outscored them in that stretch. At least it was even. I think they were like plus one in that. Um, so that was a big loss. Uh, the other thing, I, I think going back to the their blitzing, you know, for all the talk about Jokic's playmaking and letting him be a scorer in game two, he had four assists tonight. You know, only I think one more than he had in game two. But Denver had 26 as a team on their 39 field goals. And I think really that the the blitzing, the aggressive defense from Miami got the ball moving from Denver and their ball movement was terrific throughout this. I mean, Murray, obviously, the focal point, as you talked about, his fourth consecutive game with double digits, first player to start his finals career like that. But six assists from Aaron Gordon is also pretty impressive in its own right to go along with his scoring. He's been awesome the entire series. You wanted to talk about Aaron Gordon. I've written and talked, I, I would say, to an unhealthy amount about Aaron Gordon for like the last six years of his career. I've always been fascinated by him as a player. I love the Nuggets acquisition of him the second that it happened for reasons that have all borne out. But you, you, you take the floor here because this was a topic you really wanted to get to. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of what you were fascinated by was his desire to play a certain way and, you know, to talk about the Paul George comparisons and wanting to run pick and rolls and have the ball in his hands. And, you know, I think everyone else seen like, no, actually, you're probably better suited to be a secondary player and, you know, do a lot of the things that Draymond Green does. And we kind of envisioned that in Orlando. And one of the things that I've reflected on after the trade to Denver is like, Actually, it makes a lot of sense that he would think this in Orlando. Like, you look at the guys who are the focal points of that offense. It's Yvonne Fournier, who is no longer playing for the Knicks. It's Nikola Vucevic, who is the third option for a Chicago team that is not actually all that good offensively, despite its apparent offensive talent. Like, of course, Aaron Gordon would look around and be like, hey, I should have the ball in my hands. I should be doing things. And then you get to Denver. And granted, Jamal Murray got injured. Uh, shortly after he got there. But you see Jamal Murray after what he'd done in the bubble. You see Nikola Jokic on his way to his first MVP season. It becomes a lot easier, I think, to understand that you're going to play a secondary role. And that's one of those, you know, kind of finding the the right spot or, or team fit things that uh, maybe we don't always think about it for, quite from that perspective, what it means for a player embracing their role. But then the other thing about this that should be a lesson to everyone coming up with skill sets like Aaron Gordon is you can be very successful. It might not be every night you're going to score 27 points, but it can happen because of the fact that you're taking advantage of the attention that your teammates are creating. And He's not going to get paid as much as he could because he signed the extension right away after he got to Denver. But you can make a lot of money and you can have a lot of success with your team. And then you can ultimately, because of that, get a lot of credit if you embrace that kind of smaller role. It sounds hokey. And maybe it's really just more about Jokic and playing with Jokic than anything else. But like sometimes 
a player just meets his basketball destiny. Like this is the kind of place that Aaron Gordon needed to be to fulfill the kind of player he could be. Defend the best guys, run the floor, lead the break if you get a rebound, set screens. I don't think they've even used him as a screener enough in this series considering he's got Kevin Love on him him a lot. Jamal Murray got a floater early in the game on that. Make plays in open space, whether it's in transition or in the half court. Set screens for Jokic. Cut. Offensive rebound. Like, this this is the player he was meant to be. And what I would always write about him in Orlando, and you're absolutely right, they put him in an ecosystem at his age when he was like, yo, why not me? Who, who am I going to turn to here? Really? These other dudes? Like, I'm better than them. I was the fourth pick in the draft or whatever. Um, And I would always write, if he just embraced whatever his version of Draymond Green could be, he's so good. He will just sort of walk in to 15 points, eight rebounds, and four assists. And you might not get four now playing every game with Jokic and, and Murray. But, like, that's how good he is. It, 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 that's just a, a day at the office without plays being run for you, really, unless you count, like, I'm the screener and a pick and roll as a play being run for me, which I guess is, should be the approach you have. And it just never worked, and he got traded to Denver. And I have talked a lot about what those eight games that they played before Jamal Murray tore his ACL meant, meant to my perception of their team. I have said consistently that I was going to pick them to get out of the West and make the finals that year. Um, I, you wanted to talk about those games too. I, I've talked about them enough, including the Clippers game, which is a landmark game for me. But you, you, you tell me. Well, the concern I had that I never said publicly because I think it would have sounded like concern trolling is, you know, 10 years from now, are we still going to be talking about those eight games? Yes, like, I will if they win the championship. But, but like, if from the standpoint of like, man... If they only could have gotten everybody healthy at the same time, we saw those eight games. Like, what oh, like, really could have been? Like how the t- 2008 Celtics still haven't lost a playoff series when they're healthy? <laughs> I was thinking about it like somebody thinking back on their high school partner and, like, reflecting about, like, ah, what could have been? And just that kind of wistful nostalgia for something because y- you didn't know that Michael Porter Jr.'s surgery was going to work, that Jamal Murray was going to get back to play at the same level that he in even a higher level now in the playoffs than he played at beforehand. And I am thrilled for the Nuggets that everything broke so that we finally got to see kind of the culmination, the realization of, you know, the seeds that were planted back after the trade. I want to go rewatch that Clippers game because it it really, I, I just remember vividly, I wanted to watch it. It was, I booked a market that day because it's like this Denver team's rolling. Like they look scary. They just beat the hell out of the Clippers in the bubble, the Clippers want revenge. They're playing Kawhi, they're playing PG, and we know that anytime the Clippers play Kawhi and PG, like you have to drop everything that's going on in your life and watch the game because it might not happen again for two months. And it was in Staples slash crypto slash still crypto. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> we'll see for how long. And and, um, and the Nuggets just beat the living hell out of them the entire game. And I mean that both in terms of score and in terms of with AG, we're bigger and badder than you, and you do not have an answer for us. And we know, and you know, and they just blew the crap out of them. I remember watching that game being like, I know this is just a regular season game. I know I shouldn't I know I shouldn't read too much into it. It 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 stood out to me as a statement by them. And I thought back to that bubble series tonight because 
by the end of that series, the Clippers essentially had just given up. They had no answer for their Murray-Jokic pick and roll. It's unswitchable. It's undroppable. It's unblitzable. Like, they have an answer for whatever scheme you want, particularly when Jokic is shooting threes. And by the end, they just sort of decided we're all going to fall on the floor and give up and go home and get out of the goddamn bubble. We don't like it here. And I thought of that tonight because, like like I said, we the Heat have cycled through pretty much every answer. And tonight, Jokic with his pick-and-pop jump shots and the response that that drew from Miami, it felt like the bubble to me in, in terms of just we're out of answers. They, they beat us every possible way, and we don't we just don't have an answer. Like, there was a back-to-back, I think there were consecutive possessions in the third, it was either, I think it was the third quarter, where Jokic hit a three when they when Murray strung out the blitz. Nobody rotated to him. He's all right, I'll shoot, I'll shoot my little lazy three. Lazy, and I mean that in an affectionate way. It just takes, takes a little while, and it goes in when he has time. Um, and on the very next possession, they ran it again, and they switched. And immediately, because they're like, well, if he's going to shoot threes, we got to switch. Oh, shoot, Gabe Vincent's on him. Because the Nuggets did something really smart, which is run Murray off a guard-guard screen to get Butler off of him and get, get Gabe Vincent on him. Okay, well, that's an emergency. Let's give the ball to Jokic. Jokic immediately turns at the nail, starts dribbling into his floater, throws this like out of nowhere lob to Aaron Gordon on the back line for a dunk because he sees Aaron Gordon's guy like not even stepping up but like thinking about stepping up. Oh, that's all I need dunk. And it just like what do you like? There's the Heat are working hard, man. They're working hard. They're a good defensive team, and they just Jokic didn't even shoot that well from two. Murray didn't shoot well from two, and they're just picking them apart. Picking them apart. What about Bruce Brown? What the hell? What got into Bruce Brown? <laughs> I mean, I love Bruce Brown, captain of the Luke Walton All Stars, like three years ago. This is just is just holy smokes. Well, he's back in his old collegiate stomping grounds, uh, you know, where he he legitimately played point guard as opposed to to just playing it in the spot minutes when Jamal Murray is out of the game right now. So, you know, exploring exploring that area, the studio space, a little bit with his skill set. I I rewound the up and under. Uh, against Bam that kind of was a semi-dagger. I guess KCP's run out three was like the official dagger. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, that was Bam out of bio. He's just like, I'm Bruce Brown. I'm going at you, man. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not afraid. Um, the series is not over. And if the Miami Heat have done anything in these playoffs, and they've done a whole hell of a lot, it's they've earned the benefit of the doubt that they are never, ever, ever going to stop playing. And they do not care that the next game is in Denver and they, they've now got to win in Denver twice. Their mindset is going to be, we got to win a game. We win one game in Denver and suddenly we're coming home. Win that game and suddenly all the pressure's on Denver. Is this going to be 3-1 lead? We know 3-1 leads are kind of a flashpoint. Uh, did you see anything tonight? Or have you seen, have you had any ideas as the series has gone on? Because this is now, again, plus 38 over four games. This is almost a double-digit average win for the Nuggets now over four games. The one game they lost, um, Jamal Murray had a three to tie it at the buzzer, and they just flat played badly on defense for like 10 to 12 minutes of the game. That's how close we could have been to a sweep. Are you, are you, do you have any ideas? I mean, it's interesting because one of the things you wanted to, you said earlier to go behind the scenes, you wanted to talk about if Miami was won, won the game is sort of, are there any takeaways from this Miami run that other teams can use? And I'm not sure that like 
just keep the game close until the final five minutes and Spo and Jimmy Butler and company will figure something out and we'll win win all these close games is really a, a reproducible strategy for other teams and it might not be uh, a reproducible strategy for the Heat in this series. I mean, we, we've talked around it, uh, but they, they have to win the shot volume battle. They actually won it in games one and three in the games that they lost previously in the series. And it was a tie in game two, the the one game that they did win where shot making was the biggest factor. But you look over the course of the playoffs, uh, as much as we talk about shot making, teams that have the advantage in terms of what all, let's call true shot attempts. So, you know, shots on goal was actually probably not a good descriptor of this because that makes it sound like free throws are bad because they don't count as shots on goal, but you really want those. So it's shot attempts and trips to the free throw line is what you want. And teams that have the lead over in shot volume uh, by that definition over their opponents have won about 60% of the time in the playoffs with Denver winning tonight. Miami is 88 and four in the playoffs when they have the shot volume edge now three and five without it. So that's, that's the thing that is, I think more in their control though. One of the things they will have to do is find a counter for, I mean, the way that Nikola Jokic taking off Bam Adebayo and trying to get in the passing lanes, whether it's kicks or deflections, like that, that was a huge problem. That was a huge factor in those eight, eight turnovers, according to NBA.com, seven according to our box score at ESPN.com for Bam. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I do think, and I said this after game three, I do think the connectivity between the Butler mismatch hunting offense and the Butler Bam pick and roll offense and the shooters flying around bam handoff offense the connection has not quite snapped but is just not as solid and as as frayed frayed maybe it's frayed like they're at their best when they flow from one into the other when jimmy runs a pick and roll with bam and Jokic drops back and bam flies out and gets into a handoff with Struess or Robinson and Jokic has to sprint up and then the pocket pass to bam is there and suddenly they're moving and I just feel like maybe it's the pressure of playing from behind a lot. Maybe it's trying to keep the tempo slow. Maybe it's trying to be careful with turnovers. Maybe it's just they're tired at this the hundred whatever games into the season. I just feel like the connection from the, those two subsets of offense hasn't been there, and the snap and the verve in their offense when it's rolling 
hasn't been there enough either. And I don't know how to tap in to tap more into that. I mean, they know how to do it. They're in the finals. They're still just three wins from the title. They need to they need to find that kind of vigor and connectivity again, or else I, I just don't think they can get game five. But knowing that you haven't watched all the film yet back, but is shooters flying off of those out of bio screen or handoffs the best way to take advantage of the fact that Jokic is giving him so much space when Adebayo has the ball at the elbow? Maybe. I mean, again, we're recording this right after the game, like you said, so I haven't gone back and watched it. I like when they flow from one into the other, when they set use Jimmy to set up the other thing. Or, but But yeah, maybe you just... Lean. I mean, you, it's hard to say lean away from the guy who's got you this far in Jimmy Butler. Can you lean 5% away from it, maybe? Can you use him as a screener more somehow? I mean, they've used him as a screener for on-ball pick-and-roll stuff a lot, and it's been good, and they've gotten a ton of switches. I, I don't... I don't it's too late at night and too recent from game four for me to think too hard about this, but I've just felt like holistically the Heat offense hasn't quite been where it needs to be. And look, the results clearly haven't been what they need to be, especially against an offense as good as Denver's. Um, what other things should we hit from this game? Only five offensive rebounds for the Nuggets, so the Heat took care of the glass. 14 of 28 from three, though. I mean, that's really, that's Denver shooting 50% from three. That's the Heat formula. Turnovers we hit. Duncan Robinson had a good game. Kyle Lowry, 13 points in the first half, zero in the second half. Um, Kevin Love played a nice a nice 18 minutes, I thought. Um, Michael Porter, 11 points, scrounged his way to 11 points, mostly on cuts. Most my favorite Michael Porter player of the game, and I've been watching him carefully because I want I've been like, is he going to come to life or like what's going on here? They ran a play for him to curl around and down off a of Jokic off-ball screen. He caught the ball, and he could have forced it. Could have forced like a two, or he was like Euro-stepping all around in the first half of the game. Kicked it back to Jokic, and then screened for him in an inverted pick-and-roll. Faded to the right wing, and as Jokic drove, then back-cut Max Struess for either a dunk or a layup. I can't remember. I was like, all right, he's he like manufactured 11 points. That's not, it's not nothing, but... That's all they needed with Aaron Gordon. I mean, you get you get forty eight points from Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown. What are we missing with Aaron Gordon? Made some threes. Any other kind of Aaron Gordon stuff that we didn't get? I mean, just him continuing to take advantage of Miami's lack of size, especially in that stretch at the start of the second quarter when Jokic was resting and they really ran their offense through him instead of Jamal Murray. And, you know, that was kind of the second extended stretch, the start of game one being the other, where he has just bullied Miami's smaller defenders, uh, especially I think, you know, they, they get a little smaller in that second unit without love out there next to Adebayo. So that's a, that's a place that makes a lot of sense for Denver to attack. Now we just may not see that in the fourth in game five, because, you know, Bam and Jimmy played the entire second half of this one. I'd expect we'll probably see something very close to that again on Monday night because there's there's no offseason left to, to to save them for at this point if you don't win that one. Well, part of the reason they played the whole second half is we had the rim delay. Yeah. Bam broke the rim for a second. I mean, not a second. I think it was a seven-minute delay. It was also very funny because Denver this season was crippled by a series of rim accidents. Like the Boston game was delayed by like 45 minutes when they played there in Denver during the regular season. So for it to happen to the Nuggets on the road was pretty amusing. Uh, the NBA.com just updated the stats for the series. Um, Denver's offensive rating is 118 now through 
four games, which would have been second only to the Kings in the regular season. Uh, and the it's 118, 108.6 for the Heat, which would have been, I don't know if last, but not far from last in the regular season. Um, and now for the playoffs, KP, I mean, look, the, the Warriors with Durant just broke everything um, to the point that you're like, are, are, how do we even talk about this team that went 16-1 and one in a playoff season <laughs> with a net rating of plus 9,000? Denver is 15 and 4 in the playoffs. 119.3 offensive rating, which is just basically all-time great. 111 defensive rating, which this season what would that have gotten you? 5th, 6th, 8th, something like that in that range. Like pretty damn good. I don't I don't have the energy to look it up right now. Plus 8.2 net rating for the entire postseason. That is a not quite elite, but really really strong figure for a full playoffs. Um, the next best team in net rating in the playoffs is now the Boston Celtics plus 3.2. The Heat are plus 2.2. So the Nuggets are five full points in net rating in the playoffs above anybody else. They have been far and away the best team in the playoffs. And if they win game five, 16 and four, like that's real, that's real stuff. Like if they go 16 and now, again, I, Everyone knows we all respect Miami. That's just the stakes now. Is like that's sixteen and four would would be a real strong stamp on a real strong season. Again, and a season in which we spent a whole year talking about. Well, there's no great team. There's no great team. There's no great team. And in the regular season, there wasn't. This is a great team playoff run, and I can already hear it. I can already hear how many play-in teams did they beat in the playoffs? I just what what do you think of that? Cuz you've heard it surely, people taking these yeah. subtle jabs of like, oh, they beat the 7th seed and then another 7th seed and now they're playing an 8th seed and blah blah blah. blah, blah. I mean, for me it's, it's someone handling this statistically like it makes it a lot more challenging because, you know, not the Nuggets specifically, but just the fact that the regular how good a team is in the regular season is no longer uh, is good an indicator of how they're good they're going to be in the playoffs as it used to be. So the fact that the Lakers and the Heat, uh, probably the Timberwolves, still fall into this category, but the fact that they weren't very good in the regular season doesn't mean that they were necessarily easy opponents for you know Denver in the playoffs because they were playing a different version of those teams, a Miami team that had knocked out you know the the top two teams in the NBA during the regular season, a Lakers team that had been dramatically better after they remade themselves at the trade deadline. So I think, you know, kind of my subjective assessment of the competition the Nuggets have faced is a lot stronger than my objective competition. I will say, I think there's enough room for the Nuggets to have had a great playoff run and to have, you know, caught some breaks along the way that they didn't face the very most difficult opponents that they possibly could have. Both of those things can be true. uh, And that's the kind of nuance that sometimes gets crowded out of these arguments. And we maybe, you know, push too far the other direction in terms of overstating how little opponents matter to counter this idea that, oh, they had an easy path to the title because this wasn't an easy path to the title and no path to the title is ever easy. Only one team can win it. There's no such thing as an easy path to the title, um, as evidenced by you know injuries happening every year, including Giannis Antetokounmpo right away in the Bucks the Bucks seat series in the first round. You know, you just look back at it; it's like okay, so they're the number one seed. The first round is supposed it is by definition a playing team. Like it's not going to be a great team, and right. they beat Minnesota four one. Second round, they faced the team that everybody was trying to duck 
in the first round that everyone people thought, well, the Clippers should have ducked them. The Suns with KD and Booker and CP were Vegas favorites, I believe, over Denver. Um, so I don't really, I mean, like that. I picked them. I, I know. I think, did you as well that picked the Suns? I did. I picked the yeah. Suns in seven because I got spooked by the last month of Denver's, you know, regular season where they just looked totally checked out. And then it's like, well, okay, so was Phoenix the best possible team they could have faced in the Western Conference, you know, with Durant? I mean, were they better than Memphis? Now Memphis was missing two big guys, Brandon Clark and Steven Adams. So probably Sacramento, the Clippers, Paul George got hurt right away. Um, I would have loved to see them play the Warriors, even though I don't think the Warriors necessarily were, you know, an all-time great team or anything this year, as as their series against the Lakers conclusively proved. I I think just that would have been the most interesting matchup and maybe test of the Nuggets, especially after those two teams played with Denver shorthanded in last year's first round. But yeah, I don't think it, it was necessarily like a huge break to play the Lakers instead of the Warriors from an overall ability standpoint. Uh, No, and the Lakers, I mean, look, um, ESPN spends a lot of time talking about the Lakers. I don't think that's a secret. Uh, and the Lakers became a legitimately really good team over the last 30 games of the season once they remade their roster. And a lot of that talk on the ESPN family of networks was framed around questions like, can the Lakers win the championship? What would be a successful postseason run for the Lakers? What would a fifth ring mean for the legacy of LeBron James? Um is Anthony Davis back to his dominant MVP form? Like there was, my point was there wasn't a lot of underselling the threat of the Lakers until the Lakers were rendered no longer a threat by the Denver Nuggets in a sweep. If you want to tell me like, oh, they just eke this thing out against the Lakers and that's not a great showing. No, they swept them. 4-0, two wins on the road. Game three was pretty convincing. Game four was a gut check, close win. And then the Heat, like, what are they supposed to do? Apologize for the fact that the Heat beat the Celtics and the Bucks and and the Knicks and the play. Like what? What could they do? It like I, I think the Heat is the one where you just are like you anticipate this juggernaut clash right. of the in the finals, and the the Heat were not a juggernaut. They clearly were much better than what they showed in the regular season. So they're hard to parse. But look, this is just life. This is the path that the Nuggets have gotten. I think it's pretty solid overall. I think their Western Conference path is probably pretty typical difficulty level. I mean, the Lakers were the, were the seventh seed. They were like three games out of the fourth seed. It's not like they were a distant seventh seed. Um, the other thing is then, if you start talking about the the, uh, the players they faced, like if you, if you phrase it as they went through Durant and Booker, LeBron and AD, and then Jimmy and Bam in the finals, like that, that sounds a lot different than three play-in teams. Well, they're not through them yet. But I'm just saying, like, this is kind of objectively a pretty impressive playoff run for the Nuggets so far. Um, And they have a chance to finish it at home on Monday. I will be in the building for that. I'm going to Denver on Sunday. Um, And I'll, I'll have to drag someone, if they win, from Denver onto the podcast because, I mean, what... What a moment for the Nuggets game five is going to be just not win or lose like the Denver Nuggets, this sort of, you know, well, they put up 100 million points in the 80s and they never won very much. I mean, they were pretty good for part of the 80s and then they just sort of farted around for a while. Then they peak a little bit during the mellow era. They have a random George Carl, like they're the third seed with Iguodala and all that, but just never, never a team that seemed to capture the imagination of their city and their market. 
never a team that was in the real high level discussions in the Western Conference, really hardly ever. Conference finals in 2009, obviously. A couple inbounds passes go a different way. They might be in the finals. Um, It's a a big deal for this franchise, obviously, that they're going to be playing for a title at home. For sure. I mean, I feel like Denver, maybe not as much so as Phoenix, which is another team that has not won a championship and and probably had even more success than Denver, but like a lot of what uh, Bill Simmons would call critically acclaimed teams, like those... Those uh, post-mellow teams were incredibly fun to watch, uh, really interesting from an analytical standpoint, but you also never kind of felt that they really were going to make a serious playoff run. And that kind of describes a lot of, you know, probably the Doug Moe teams as well uh, before my time, obviously. But, uh, you know, since the, the late 70s and they were losing to the Sonics, my beloved Sonics in the uh, Western Conference Finals in 78 was you know, other than the 2009 appearance, the, the last time that you really took them seriously as a, a championship contender. Well, and the Suns have had, you know, multiple finals appearances, including kind of mm-hmm. a, an iconic 93 finals against Michael and the Bulls when it was Charles against Michael. and Greatest um, game ever played in 76 in the finals against the Celtics. The, 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 the triple, triple overtime or quadruple overtime? I think triple. Um, uh, Paul Westfall, that, that whole group. And they just feel more central to their city than the Nuggets ever have with the Broncos Mm -hmm. and the Avalanche and the Rockies. I know those are relatively new teams, but they immediately enjoyed like high, high level success. Um, And, you know, the Nuggets are one of my, one of my good buddies from, from living in the city. Now it grew up in Denver, now lives back in Denver. He's a lifelong Nuggets fan and just like, he's been waiting for this his entire life and he's been waiting to share it with other people who cared about the team as much as, as much as he does. And there's thousands of people like that who are like, yeah, all my buddies are Broncos fans and they kind of follow the nuggets. Like they're aware that they have this Jokic guy or like, it's cool that Melo's here, but they don't, they're not like watching the games. Well, now they've risen to that level. It's, it's, it's a cool thing, but the heat are going to fight like all hell to make, to bring the series back to Miami. And wouldn't, wouldn't shock me if they did the heat have shocked us all the whole playoffs. Any parting thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you and I were both, you, what you've articulated about your pick for the series, about thinking it, it had a pretty good shot to be Denver in five, but Miami and Denver in six out of respect to Miami is about where I was with my pick. And we'll see if they can, uh, you know, make it at least six. Yeah, my official pick was Denver in six, flirted with Denver in five. Um, never, never thought about picking Miami, honestly. Like I, it was, it was going to be a pretty clear, even before I went and dove into the film, I I was pretty strong lean Denver. Um, well, they, they got a shot to wrap it up. Any, any parting thoughts on this particular game? I feel like we've now gone away from what actually happened tonight. feels like it ended four hours ago. It does. Yes. I, I, you, you said it, but I wanted to rejoin, uh, offer rejoinder. Like, Kudos to Michael Porter Jr. I don't know if a couple of years ago, if Michael Porter Jr. is going through a shooting slump like this, like he's going to continue to cut and and play hard defensively and do those things and contribute and stay on the court and deserve to stay on the court even when he's not making shots. Can someone get Michael Malone some tea with lemon <laughs> in it? I mean, I, I love that the voice just by the third quarter huddle, we have his defense of the air right here. Wow. That's where we are. It's 12.15 a.m. I'm a little punchy, Kevin. Um, it's only 9.15 p.m. where you are. You're living the life out there. Yeah, my night is still young. I still got Seattle Storm postgame media to do here. 
All right, go do that. Thank you, Kevin Pelton. We'll see. We'll, we'll, well, I'll see you guys. I'll see everybody after game five, whenever and wherever and however that goes. Thank you, KP. Thanks for having me. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.